Good morning, Chapel Hill. I'm starting out this morning totally self-conscious because as usual, I grabbed a little drink of water just to, to wet my mouth a little bit before I came up here and I managed to drool on myself. So we're just waiting for that to dry. I'm just going to be aware of it the entire time. All right, uh, you're going to need your Bibles. We're jumping right back into our series this morning. Get your Bibles up, uh, open up your Bible apps, put your hand up if you don't have a Bible. You're going to need one to follow along in. And our ushers have some Bibles they're bringing around, so you can use one of those. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive from them. All right, uh, before I get going this morning, I just wanted to pause and take a moment uh, to congratulate all our graduates. Uh, we have several of them here, and they're going to be celebrating tonight at our senior banquet um, amongst all the other celebrations they've had during the week and this weekend. So I'm going to draw attention to a few of them that are here this morning, and you're going to need to turn around to see them because they're all in the back. So Ryan Henriksen, stand up. No, stand up. There you go. Liam McVitie, is that how you pronounce your name? Yeah, that's Liam. On the camera is Jude McVitie, that's my other boy. Uh, we have Darlene's granddaughter Tessa graduates this year. Uh, Brady Kuznia is not here this morning, they moved to Arizona. Um, but uh, he graduates this year as well and Bella Huntington is going to be here tonight to celebrate with us as well. So let's just take a moment and lift up our grads in prayer. God, we are so thankful for uh, the lives of our graduates this morning and for this uh, incredible moment in their lives when they celebrate all that you've done to bring them to this point in life. And, um, and Lord, as they move on into this next chapter of their lives, I just pray for your blessing on them, on each and every one of them. Um, it's speaking from a parent's perspective. It's a little hard to release them into this world um, and you know that, and uh, I just ask that you would be with each and every one of them, that you would be their strength, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them the power that they need to follow Jesus throughout their lives, um, that you would just show them the path that you have created for them and help them to follow it well. Um, God, we're proud of them, and we lift them up to you and ask for your blessing on their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and uh, one more word of congratulations to Bob and Kathy Kason. Uh, their son Eric was married yesterday, and I got to perform that wedding up in Brooklyn Center, and uh, very excited for them, so that's another big deal. All right, <clears throat> last Sunday, we started a new series of messages called Power. We're going to spend the summer working our way through the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Acts is a very enjoyable book, even just to read through. Uh, lots of stories, lots of amazing situations. Um, Acts is a great account of the birth of the New Testament church and the beginning of a significant chapter in the history of God's people, a chapter that you and I are a part of. Last week we saw that this book is part two in the writings of Luke. Uh, he had a lot to share with his friend Theophilus, someone who was likely a recognized Greek or Roman official. Um, Luke had started recording the works and teaching of Jesus in the book of Luke. 
And now he is creating a second account of what Jesus was doing, and this time doing by his spirit in and through the lives of his followers. Jesus had told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem where they'd been staying, and that he was sending them a fulfillment of a promise that had been made for centuries. They were going to receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Much more about that later in the series. We're just going to keep coming back to it. Today we're going to fill in another gap in that time period before the Spirit came. So turn now to Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been meeting with his disciples for about 40 days after his resurrection. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that during that time, Jesus had been talking with his disciples about the kingdom. God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. And we know from the Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. It was one of his most common subjects. And now, he had just spent 40 days sharing with them about the kingdom, about something that cannot be easily defined. The concept of God's kingdom does not fit into a neat and tidy little box. There is no one-sentence definition. The kingdom is vast. The kingdom is complex. It's amazing in both function and beauty. There are so many different dimensions to the kingdom. It's about the rule and reign of Jesus. It's about the relationships that exist between members of that kingdom. It's about the priorities and values of that kingdom. The kingdom has purpose, it has structure, it has character, and all kinds of dimensions. And we're going to see it lived out in the book of Acts. So we may have to, as we go here, expand our vision and our perspective when it comes to the kingdom. It is not a small thing. It is massive. In my whole life, I will never truly grasp the vision that is the kingdom. It's going to take until Jesus comes back for me to fully get that. Part of that vision is yet to come. And that happens when Jesus returns. Part of that vision is being lived out among us right now. And you and I are members of this kingdom. And so we get to see it and experience it firsthand. And that is a pretty cool privilege for us. Okay, now let's move into our passage for today. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This is what Luke writes. He says, So when they had come together, when Jesus' disciples had come together with him, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, there are 
many times that I marvel over the patience of Jesus. Um, and not just his patience with me. Um, he seems to have chosen some pretty thick-headed individuals to have with him throughout his ministry years. There are things they should have understood so much quicker, but they prove time and time again that there are things that are going to have to be explained to them over and over and over again in order for them to get it. This was one of those examples. Throughout his ministry, Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom. He even made direct statements like the kingdom of God is like and then he would describe it and he did that many times and he used images and concepts that they could easily understand. As I said earlier, Jesus had just spent 40 days with his disciples talking to them about the kingdom. But after all that, once they had come together with him on the Mount of Olives, they threw a question at Jesus that made it clear that they still really didn't get it. They said, Jesus, is it time now for you to restore our kingdom? Now, to their credit, the restoration of Israel's kingdom had been promised for a very, very long time. The prophets spoke of it often, and then for hundreds of years, there was this silent gap regarding the restoration of the kingdom. Jesus comes along, making it clear that he is the Messiah that they were waiting for, and they thought, this is it. It's time. It's restoration time. And so Jesus gently redirects their question. He basically tells them that the timing of the restoration of Israel's kingdom is none of their business, and it wasn't going to look like what they were expecting anyways. Israel wanted to return to their status as the world-dominant political power. Jesus had always spoken of a spiritual kingdom, not a political kingdom. Now, one day when Jesus returns, there is going to be a full restoration of the rule and reign of Jesus, one king, and the whole earth will be his kingdom. That's coming. But right now, and at the time Jesus was talking to his disciples, things were going to look a little different, a lot different. Throughout his years walking this planet, Jesus was modeling and establishing the kingdom. In all that he did and taught, the kingdom was being revealed, and it would now continue to be revealed through the church. That's what's happening right now. And at the point when Jesus walked out of his tomb alive and took his place on the throne in God's kingdom, he is now, not will be, he is now our king and his kingdom is expanding every moment. Now Jesus' disciples had goals and dreams. They wanted to see Israel's return to power. So they asked Jesus about the timing of that return to power. And instead of answering their question directly, Jesus turned their attention to his goal and dream for them. And he did it with that powerful three-letter word, but I'm not going to give you the time or season when that will happen. I don't want you distracted by or fixated on the time, but... There's something else I want you to focus on. 
And this is a response that applies to us directly right now as well. God knows what the future holds. He knows the timing of all of it. We leave that to him. That's his business. Meanwhile, he has a very significant plan for us. And in one sentence, Jesus spelled out what he had in mind for his followers to focus on until he returns to establish his eternal kingdom here on earth under his rule with the whole earth being his kingdom. And this is an amazing verse. It's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We're pretty familiar with this verse. You hear it a lot. This is one of the most powerful inspiring, intimidating, terrifying, encouraging, overwhelming verses in the whole Bible. Some people get really fired up by this verse. Some people give in to the weight of shame and regret when they read this verse. Some people cry. Some people squirm. Some people simply don't know what to do with Jesus' final instructions before he returned to heaven to be with his Father. And honestly, I don't care where you fall on that spectrum right now. I think I found myself at pretty much every point on that spectrum at some time in my life. This week's study has had tremendous value for me once again. Um, I know these words were spoken by Jesus to me and to the rest of his followers. So once again, I'm listening I have to hear what Jesus is saying here. We all do. And then we have to invite God's spirit to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through these words. It's our only option, church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I could just stand up here and read those words over and over and over again for the rest of the morning, but there's some consideration that has to happen here as well as just hearing him say this. We already talked about the, the first word in the statement. Jesus is redirecting our focus to his plan for us, but even before the plan is spoken, there's a promise made here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit is our one true source of power in our lives. The power we have ourselves without him is grossly lacking. There is very little of any real significance that I can accomplish on my own human power compared to what the Holy Spirit can produce in me. Am I able to raise someone from the dead? No. Am I able to heal the sick? No. Am I able to free the addict, to restore the heavy burden, to forgive the sinner, to speak God's truth, to grasp the mysteries of God, to create a reflection of the image of Jesus in my own life? No. 
Am I dumb enough to list what I'm able to do on my own next to the list of what God's Spirit can do with confidence that we'll find the two lists to be comparable? No. So before I look at the task of being Jesus' witness in my Jerusalem, my Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, wouldn't it be wise to first look at what the Holy Spirit can do? Yes, yes, it would be wise. And going far beyond this one verse, wouldn't it be wise to read the book of Acts and look at what the Holy Spirit did before considering what I'm being asked to do? Yes, yes, it would be wise. We have all the evidence that we need of what the Holy Spirit is capable of right at our fingertips. We need to stop comparing Jesus' call to be his witnesses with what we think we're truly capable of. I strongly believe that the enemy is doing his best to keep us from seeing what the Holy Spirit is capable of and he's trying to get us focused on our weakness, not his strength. So can I encourage you again to spend this summer in the book of Acts? This calling that Jesus gave us is going to become less and less intimidating the more familiar we get with the power and capability of the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about a a scary word from Acts 1.8. It's the word witnesses. The easy part of this word to understand is what a witness does. A witness testifies about what they've seen, heard, or know. They speak the truth about something. But the Greek word for witness is up on the screen. It's the word martus. Martus. Okay? And you can guess what English word comes from this Greek word. Martyr. But... Martus meant witness when it was applied to this verse. Because of what happened to Jesus' witnesses, that Greek word led to the English word martyr. It came to include that dark side of the word witness because Jesus' followers witnessed to the truth with their lives. And the point is not to die doing it. The point is to give our lives to it. The word herald is a really good word to use to convey this calling. We are heralds of the truth about Jesus. Get in the Christmas spirit now. Hark the herald angels sing, right? Herald angels. They heralded the truth about Jesus. So do we. But we don't do this without help. The angels had help. They were God's messengers. So are we. And that same help is available to us. Let's be honest. The message that we're to herald is so bizarre, sometimes completely illogical, that we have to see our need for help with this. 
We're spreading a message about an invisible God, an unpopular belief system, an internal reality, a spiritual realm, a very different kind of power, a future beyond our earthly lives. How can we not need help with this? And we have that help. And there are two promises made in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that should help us see that we have the help that we need. The first promise is this. You will receive power. That's an awesome promise. It's from God and we know that he keeps his promises. The second promise is this. You will be my witnesses. That's the promise we often overlook. It's stated the same way that the promise of of power is stated. But it's there as a promise for us. You will be my witnesses. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, will you please consider maybe trying out this volunteer position in my kingdom? I know you have a lot going on right now. Can you maybe give me 5% of your time to start with and see if you like it? Just give it some thought. Pray about it. No. This is Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses. It's already been decided. He chose us. We're his heralds. This is our Father's plan for us. His kingdom is going to grow through us. He will make a statement of truth through our lives, through our words. Now, isn't it amazing that Jesus makes these two promises? He promises that we have a role in his kingdom. We're heralds. And he promises that he'll provide everything we need for him to succeed at this. This is him working in and through us. Just like he did for those first 11 disciples, and they're going to bring it back up to 12 next Sunday. Acts 1.8 is incredible. We have an identity, and we have the power of heaven to help us live out that identity. In fact, God will do this through us. He is not going to just sit on the sidelines and cheer for us until we chicken out or make a mess of things. He believes in us enough to promise that we'll do it and to promise that he'll provide the power to do it. One last time, read the book of Acts. Got that? Read the book of Acts. Summer assignment. If you can't see evidence of God's fulfilling those two promises throughout the book of Acts, you've missed it, go back and start again. Okay, second part of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as you read the book of Acts this summer, which I know you will, you're going to see this verse lived out just the way it's written, in that order, okay? The work, of the, Holy, the work that the Holy Spirit did through the apostles started in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7. 
It carried on into Judea and Samaria in chapter 8 through verse 18 of chapter 11. And for the rest of the book of Acts, we see the disciples reaching the ends of the earth with Paul landing in Rome and the end of the earth to them was Rome at that time. Promises made, promises fulfilled. And we see all that happen in the book of Acts. Okay, personal application opportunity. What's your Jerusalem? Identify it. What's closest to you? Your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, your kid's soccer team? What's your Judea and Samaria? Something a little further away like your city or state, maybe even your country? What's your end of the earth? Is it somewhere our missionaries serve? Is it a kid you sponsor in some far off land? Is it an organization you support Is it a calling that's stirring your heart up in a way that's hard to ignore? You and I are Jesus' witnesses right where we are, not far from where we are, and far, far away. Are we being intentional about that? Do we think about it that way? There's so much in this one verse, and we will return to it, but we have to move on now. Because something really bizarre happens. Um, The Bifrost to Asgard opens, and Jesus gets shot up into the cosmos. There there are the Marvel fans. Okay, maybe not, but this is every bit as bizarre, okay? Jesus literally flew up from the earth. It was time for him to return to his father in heaven and it was time for us to be better off with him gone because it was the only way he would send his spirit. Note that the verse says that the disciples were looking on. Um, Jesus didn't just wander off across the top of a hill and disappear. It was important that witnesses saw him shoot up into heaven. And then a cloud is mentioned. The cloud took him from their sight. And this was not the first time in the Bible a cloud like this is present. Go all the way back to Exodus 40 and a cloud hovers over the temple. In Mark 9 at Jesus' transfiguration, there's another cloud that overshadows Elijah and Moses who are with Jesus. And and the cloud hid them from Peter, James, and John. That cloud is a representation of God's glory. That is the Shekinah glory, it's called. And there it was again, God's glory taking Jesus up into heaven, taking him away. And then to make things even weirder, the disciples get visitors. And they don't seem to be stunned by the flying Jesus. They even ask the disciples why they're staring at the sky where they last saw Jesus thought they could have answered that question themselves, especially since they seemed to have known everything about what was going on. They, the two angels, said something that I thought was really interesting. They said, men of Galilee. That wasn't a compliment. The disciples weren't from highly esteemed religious heritage. They were fishermen and a bunch of others and were not, of course, likely choices to be Jesus' chosen disciples. And I honestly think that's exactly what the angels were pointing out. They're saying, let this sink in, men of Galilee. 
You know Jesus. He chose you. He gave you an identity, a mission, and all the power that you'll need to carry out what he told you he'd accomplish through you. He's good on his promises. And oh, by the way, one more promise for you guys. He's coming back. Just like he left. He'll come back. And so can I end with this Chapel Hill? Let me restate what the angels told the disciples. Women and men of Chapel Hill Church, remember this. This Jesus, whom you know, he will come back. He promised he would. And you know he's good on his promises. So hold on to the promises that he just made to you. He promised that you will be his witnesses, close to home and far away. He promised that he would give you all the power you need to carry out the promise he made you about what you'll do. And can I say it one more time? You know he's good on his promises. Church, we are heralds of the truth about Jesus, not we could be if we so choose. We are. And as those heralds, we have, working in and through us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Spend the week chewing on that. Fight against your tendency to be intimidated by Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's lean into it. Receive it, declare it, give thanks for it. God promises that this is who we are. And he promises that he'll equip us to be his heralds. What an incredible privilege we have. Let's pray together for a moment and then we'll end our time worshiping him together. like I often do before I pray, I want you to take a moment with God. And in the quietness of your heart and your mind, I want you to make this statement to him. I want you to say, God, I am your witness. I am your witness. And I want you to ask him to just fill you with his Holy Spirit. Father, we are so grateful for your grace towards us, for your love for us, for your compassion. We are so grateful that even though we often can't see it, 
you can still see your image in us. And we're grateful that because you can, you tell us who we are. You remind us of the truth about who we are. tell us we are witnesses of your son Jesus Christ lives and voices that will be used by you to herald the truth about Jesus right close to home not far away and far far away Instead of just giving us the assignment and backing off to watch how we do. You've promised that your spirit will be all the power that we need to be who we are. To live out the truth about who we are that you have stated. So God, help us to get over ourselves. To get focused on what you are capable of. The power that your spirit has that in all the evidence that we have right in front of us that there's nothing that's impossible for you, for your spirit. Help us, God, to get out of your way. Help us to step into and fully embrace the identity you've given us through your promise that we will be your witnesses. Help us to receive with humility that power that is available to us every moment of every day so that your kingdom may grow. And in everything that we do, from simple acts of service to loving our spouse, loving our kids, loving our parents, loving our neighbor, loving our enemies, in all of it we are representations of, witnesses to Jesus, who lived it all out to perfection before us. Give us fresh perspective on your kingdom, fresh perspective on your calling, fresh perspective on our lives and all that's possible because you always fulfill your promises. Thank you for your promises to us and for all that you're going to do in our lives. We praise you for that. We are your children. We are members of your kingdom. And we welcome the opportunity to be heralds of the King. And it's in His name that we pray these things. It's in the name of Jesus Christ the King that we pray.